0: Now if you'll turn to Psalm 146, this morning when I announced that Bruce Hedick was in the hospital, I saw him a little later in the congregation. And I thought to myself, after, you know, I thought, well, I felt much like uh, Mark Twain, when uh, his death was published in the paper, and he said, he wrote them, or called them up, the New York Times, I think it was, I just wanted to let you know my death has been grossly exaggerated. (laughs) We'll be praying for you, Bruce, when you get there, all right? (laughs) 146, and we're up to the uh, sixth verse. We had discussed the fifth verse. Uh, A few weeks ago, happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And uh, having the God of Jacob for his help is very important because uh, the name Jacob uh, means supplanter and also a restless one. He was a very restless man. And it's good to know it's the God of Jacob because there's a lot of restless people. And uh, it's good to know that we have a God who can calm the restlessness of the human heart when that heart is turned to the God of Jacob for his help, and then whose hope is in the Lord his God. And of course, thinking of that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the Son of God in the clouds of heaven to take us unto himself. And so to have this wonderful God of Jacob help us in the restlessness of life. And I suppose if any area in the world would be considered to be rather a restless area, we would have to say Long Island comes pretty high on the list. Uh, I suppose there are other areas that are just as restless. The natives are restless tonight. And I can't help but think that many times in our communities around here, we praise God. To prayer last week. That the situation in Malvern was very good, for which we're very thankful. But we had prayed much about it. there could have been a real rough time, the school. But many of us knew it and prayed about it, and the Lord undertook, and so that... there was peace at the school, some sense of peace over this past week for which we praise the Lord. But it is the God of Jacob. Uh, Jacob was a restless man, always running ahead of God, really, in many ways, and God was the great God of his help. Then it follows, now we'll go to the sixth verse, which made heaven and earth, speaking of our hope in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth. Forever. And once more, I think, here is the great premise. If we, we start, we, we have to start with God with the great basic premise. And all of you here tonight have either accepted the premise, premise of God as the creator of heaven and earth and the seas and all that therein is, or you haven't. If you have accepted this great premise, and that is what is being placed here, he is the God of our hope. But the only reason he is this, I would remind you, is that he made it all. If he did not make it all, then, beloved, all the rest means nothing. The whole of Scripture speaks time and again of the creative act of God. that the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that therein is came into being through this God that we love so much. And, of course, when we get to the New Testament, it is all attributed to Jesus, you see. I and my Father are one, Colossians first chapter. All things were made by him, speaking of Jesus. And without him was nothing made that was made whether they be things in heaven or things in earth, all things were made by him and for him, and by him all things consist. Made by him, made for him. That's the only reason. The earth isn't here for any other reason. You see, if you get the premise right, you'll be all right. The earth isn't here for any other reason. It's not here for scientific research, as fine as that is. We have no objection. The earth is only here because it was made by Christ for Christ. It was made by Christ that Christ might obtain a family which would dwell long after the earth exists with God for eternity. So the earth was set here as the scene for God to get a family for himself. That's all. I'm not interested in AT&T or Consolidated Edison, with all deference to some of you people here who work there. Or the largest concerns in the world, the biggest corporations, or your business, as wonderful it is, to supply you for food on the earth. But this is not the chief end of man. The chief end of man is to glorify God who made him and created man for himself. We were made in God's image and likeness. God's eternal purposes, remember, we were chosen in Christ when? Before the foundations of the world. Way back there when there was nothing He maketh the things that are seen out of the things that are unseen. Science can't get back where God is. Science is delving into the seen, that which is seeable, that which is provable. But that which is from the beginning is not provable. Any scientist frankly admits that he never will get back to the beginnings, for there are no beginnings. So, therefore, if we get the premise right, if the premise is that by him were all things made, as the psalmist says here, our hope is in the Lord our God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is. Notice, which keepeth truth forever. Just think of that. Which keepeth truth forever. First he tells us it's been created by him and he keepeth truth forever. It can never be changed. We don't care how many ideas scientists get. It doesn't matter. We don't care if they go back four billion years. Someone says they're back four and a half billion. It's all right. We don't care if they go back ten billion years. We say in the beginning God created, the heavens and the earth, in the beginnings. We don't argue with them about what they find in the ground. All we say is this man that is now on this earth was created in the image of God and as of Adam. What was before, you can find all you want and age them by the carbon method or anything else. That's all right with us. But this man is in Adam and in Adam all die. And in Christ all can be made alive. So if we take the basic premise that God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that therein is and God made us, then from that point on we have no problem. For the god who says, the Scripture says, "...hangeth the earth on nothing." And I couldn't help but think of that as I see the astronauts out there and I hear them, the phraseologies, you know. Isn't it beautiful? You probably saw it and looked through the window and he says, why, the moon is perfectly round. And he always, always amazement, you know? Been hearing it all his life, probably, down through school and all. The moon is perfectly round. The earth is round. He said, May have a little bump on it there, but it's, you know, and you listen to these men, and you're thinking to yourself all the time, then it says, He hangeth it on nothing. And you see it out there, you know, floating, this globe. And then as he went away from the earth, you see the earth and that little small globe down there. And you think of how gloriously Jesus Christ chose the earth, the little thing. That was the place for redemption. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost choosing this place where man, the very image of God, was to come forth and where God was to fulfill his desire for a family that he could love and that would ultimately love him for all eternity. What a a wonderful premise to begin with. There are a few other verses I'd like to bring in reference to that, if I might. Uh, You don't have to turn to it. I'll just quote them. Job 12.10 says, In his hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Imagine. In his hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Here is one of the most profound statements that can be made by man. Every human soul is in the hand of God. And it's not a question of whether we want to be in the hand of God. We are in the hand of God. It's not a question of whether we ever want to face the judgment of God. We are in the hand of God, therefore we have to face the judgment of God. It is appointed to men once to die and then the judgment. There's no possibility of escape. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Why? Every soul is in the hand of God. The breath he breathes is from God. The Lord breathed, remember. The Lord made us out of the dust of the earth and breathed into man the breath of life so that we are living souls because God placed us here. In his hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. It's God's patent right. God possesses you and me. He possesses you and I in in two ways. He possesses us, number one, by the act of creation and number two, gloriously so, by the act of redemption. The second much more important than the first. The first one brings us into the world through the physical union of father and mother. And the second, the new birth, is that which is of the Spirit of God. So that the second birth, oh, so much more important than the first birth. In fact, rather never to have been born than to miss the second birth. For what does birth and life mean if there's nothing? Can someone tell me why? Why should we come into the world and live and breathe and die and be put in a coffin and go in the ground? If there's nothing beyond this, the whole thing is some fickle thing. It doesn't mean anything. Mankind has no purpose. Eventually it will all perish. There'll be nothing left anyway. The earth is finally going to be burned up. Someone told me the other day that uh, now there's a group that uh, psychedelic Christians... That's what they call themselves anyway. They're taking LSD. And uh, they've now set the date for the earth to burn up and uh, can discourse on this. They've studied the book of Revelation, been taking LSD, and claim their minds have now expanded far beyond the capacity of any of our minds to expand. And now that they've had direct contact with Jesus Christ, and 52 years from now the earth will come to an end. It's going to burn up exactly 52 years from now. And this is psychedelic Christianity. Mind expansion. As one of them said, I went ahead 500 billion years with God, and I saw things that I cannot utter. Taking from Paul. You know, when Paul says, And I went into the third heaven, and I saw things that I cannot utter to Christians. Well, beloved, I want to say this, that the day is coming, but that's only in the hand of God. No man knoweth the day of the hour. Isn't that wonderful, huh? They can do all the studying they want. No man knoweth the day of the hour. But suppose that that was it. We were born to this earth, physical birth, live on it. We have enough trials and burdens and heartaches that if the coffin is the end, who cares whether you're ever born or not? Doesn't mean a thing no value. Life has no value, just consciousness. What does this mean? Just to be conscious. I mean, you can say, but you're happy for a little while, but what does happiness mean if it ends? What does it mean if you're going to a grave? Who cares? Who wants to go through the pangs of death? Who wants to suffer with cancer if that's the end? Who wants to have all of these things happen on earth if the coffin is the end? What a tragedy it would be. How often I have said at funeral services, rather never to have born, if this is the end. And I'm sure that the whole family, when I say that, is saying, yes, pastor, that's true. If this is the end, rather had I never been born as a wife, rather had I never been born and become a husband, rather had I never been born and been a mother or a father and see my son or daughter, especially my sons, die on the battlefields of war. I'd have to say, that. tragedy, tragedy. If this is the end, this whole thing is pure folly and has no meaning and no destiny and no purpose. But God has given it divine purpose. And he says, in his hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. And then over in the 73rd Psalm, if I can just turn over there for a minute, you can turn there with me if you'd like, over in the 73rd Psalm, Here's what the psalmist says. I shouldn't say, I'm sorry, did I say 73rd? I meant 119, 73rd verse. 119, 73rd verse. Got my verse and psalm mixed up there. 73rd verse. Here again. You you know, if you were to go through the whole of the Old and New Testament, may I say this, and put down everything that God says about creation, and who made it, and whose hand it came from, you would be amazed it would fill a book. Just God speaking about creation. Even in the Psalms by themselves, there's a great deal said. Notice this one, 73rd verse. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. They that fear thee shall be glad when they see me because I have hoped in thy word. Everything here, you see, is dependent upon the blessed word of God. This is that which we believe in. We say, listen to this, and see if you agree. This is a verse of Scripture. We know that the worlds were framed by God, by his word. In other words, the mighty fiat of his word in all of its power. He said, let there be and there was. He brings man into being. He brings the earth into being. He brings all of the celestial spheres into being by his mighty act of creation. All of these things. Here's the great premise. Here it is again. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me, give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments, that they that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. Now, if I could say this about this portion, because I think it's very important. Number one, our life is in the hands of Jesus Christ. He's the one that gave you life. Number two, your spirit is in the hands of Jesus Christ. He says, I give you my spirit and he will dwell with you forever. Your body is in the hands of Jesus Christ. Romans 12 says that we're to surrender our bodies unto him, a living and holy sacrifice, which is your acceptable, uh, your accepted service, which is that which service you should never deny. You would have to say that is God's reasonable demand upon us that we present our bodies unto him. Here the psalmist also says that all those that fear the Lord, when they look at him and when they recognize the trials he's gone through and the burdens he's gone through, they will rejoice. He says, they that fear thee will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in thy word. Because of his strength under trial. May I say this? This is true of all of us. Because of our strength under trial. Here we've been made by God, we've been redeemed by God And God places his Holy Spirit in our souls, in our breasts. And then we who have been redeemed by God go under some deep and terrible trial in life. And because of the strength that we show under that trial, our hearts rejoice that we've had strength, we've found strength in Jesus Christ. We have found that his grace is sufficient for us. But we do something more than that. Notice what it says. They that fear thee they that are the children of God will rejoice when they see me because I have hoped in thy word. I have believed in thy word. And this is the key to our hearts. We have believed in God's word. We believed in his word concerning creation. We have believed in his word concerning his precious son who came to die for us. We have believed in his word concerning the redemption that there is in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have believed in his word concerning his resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection. We have believed in his word concerning his second coming again. We have believed in God's Word cover to cover, and we have accepted it as the divine revelation of God concerning Jesus Christ, His Son, and the redemption we possess in our souls. And therefore, when we go through burdens of life and trials, we're not looking to the end in a coffin and a grave and nothingness. We're looking with that great hope. And those that fear the Lord, when they see how we approach the trial, how we approach death, how we are able to face the burdens of life, courage will come to their hearts. Isn't this true? Have you had a loved one who's gone through some deep trial? Have you had someone where the burden was so heavy and so deep, and you wondered, is there any Christian here tonight that ever thinks they'll be able to go through the trial of losing the one they love the most? You, even as Christians, you, you sort of shy away from this. We, we don't mind death itself. But death is the translation to see Jesus Christ, which is far better. But to look forward to the thought that maybe we'll be without the mate we love so much. And we, we shy away from our senses because we, we can't quite think how, how could this be. I, I don't know how I'd live. I don't know how I go on. If you're really in love deeply, this is that which goes through the heart. And yet, this over the 19 years, as Ernie said that I've been here, I have seen this happen time and time again, and I have seen that even in the deepest trial of life, when that loved one you've cherished, all your life is taken to be with the Lord, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And God undertakes now that's not that's not easy to say and it isn't that we're phlegmatic as Christians it isn't that we won't shed tears it isn't that we don't sorrow yes we sorrow but we don't sorrow like others who have no hope you see because our hope is based on the great premises that we believe in we believe the worlds were framed by God that all creation is in his hands that his whole purpose for the earth is nothing that we see all that is seen is what? Say it, temporal, right? And that which is unseen is eternal. So here we are tonight in this congregation. We look at each other. We're temporal. We look at the building, temporal. I would venture that... I don't know, but I would venture that if we were able to do a lot of excavation work, I just read recently someplace on Long Island where they did little excavation work and they've picked up a bone that they think is about 200,000 years old. Well, I suppose if they did a little excavation work under the church here, they might find another building down 40 or 50 feet, I don't know, under the silt throughout the other nations, they find buildings. They just found something over in Egypt again, brand new. Didn't know it existed. A generation, they said, that they never felt what existed, had existed. And great objects of art and all this way back in ages past. And here we live on the dust of former generations. And this very building, if Jesus tarries, will be little but dust one day with all of its strong laminated beams and all of the fine workmanship that went into the building. How long can it last? Why, the great churches in England, you know, who you read about that are from 1400 and 1500, and some of those were destroyed during the bombings of Germany. But there are a few here and there, but they're trying to keep them in repair because slowly they can see the deterioration. Or if we go back to the days of the catacombs, Or the days of the amphitheaters of Rome, we find that they're decaying in the dust and all those who engaged in all the glory and the kings are gone and hardly a name is remembered. Well, it's all going to fade away. It's all going to fade away. Man's life is like the grass. It flourishes for a season. It's gone. What a terrible existence it would be if I didn't have my Savior. I can't picture what life would be without Jesus Christ and the glory of the salvation that we have in him. And beginning with that great basic premise of the creation by God, and he made the earth as the scene of his son's redemption for the man he made in his image so he'd have a family for himself when the heavens and earth shall pass away with a great noise and the elements melt with a fervent heat. We won't have to worry about it one iota. All the graveyards of earth shall be burned up and cast aside, and we won't be here. Isn't that great? Oh, boy. I tell you, my life, you know, Christian life is so exciting. I'm really excited looking forward to when I see Jesus. It's hard, you know. You're torn, aren't you, sometimes? I'd like to get to be a grandfather. You know, when I, when I see the children and I say something like that, you know, like Martha, and, and uh, we hope to be grandparents soon, but uh, I'll say to Don, maybe, you know, we were talking to the table the other night and we were up to see him and we we're talking about the Lord's second coming. And I looked at him, I says, I know, son. <laughs> I know, Martha. I'm pretty sure you'd like to have that baby. I said, I guess I'd like to be a grandfather, too. I say, I want to tell you something. If the Lord comes, we may think we're going to miss a lot. But I tell you what we'll miss. Heartaches and sorrow and death and crying and pain. Because if the Lord comes, he'll take us to himself. Now, beloved, we have a great hope, don't we? Don't we? Tremendous hope, you know. And to know here, he said, that Now the saints of the Lord, he says, when they see me, they're going to rejoice. And that's what I pray for you tonight. You know, they'll be rejoicing in your heart. He says, they'll rejoice because they'll see. I've been able to go through deep trials, the psalmist says, and they'll look at me and they'll rejoice because they'll see that if they go through the same trials as I've gone through, they'll also win the battle. Isn't it good to look at some other Christian who's gone through what you're going through and says to you, listen, I'll be praying for you. I got the victory in the same thing or i'll be praying for you i went through the same burden of sorrow and jesus has put balm to my heart oh i tell you what it means what does the word say wherefore comfort ye one another with these words what a wonderful hope we have let us pray father we thank thee for thy word and the great premise of thy creation and all of its ramifications And how it spreads out to the redemption there is in Jesus Christ. The resurrection, the coming again of Jesus. The establishment of a new heavens and a new earth in which shall dwell righteousness. Glorified bodies fashioned like unto Christ's body. We remember the psalmist says here, they'll rejoice when they see me. Because I trusted in your word. And that's exactly where we stand tonight, Lord. We trust in your word. We trust in your promises. You've promised us deliverance here and deliverance hereafter forever, eternally thine, without sorrow, pain, death, pain, or any other thing. For nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Father, seal these words to our heart tonight. And may we rejoice in a world that is staggering under the weight of its own sin. May we rejoice that we have found Christ, the secret of life and the answer to death and the entrance to eternity and bliss with him. In Christ's name, amen.